Having spent 14 years in the corporate jungle with IT behemoths like IBM, SAP, Wipro, and GBM in Dubai, and six more as a first-generation entrepreneur, Brainbox is a podcast that is focused around leadership. I interview successful CEOs, MDs, chairmen, directors, and other very successful people in an honest, unscripted chat. I'm Kaushik Bose, and welcome to the Brainbox. For the season finale, I have a very special guest, Mr. Sanjay Vidyarthi. In his career spanning 34 years, he's worked across industries, across the globe, and even built a successful startup. And for the past five years, he's focused on the agri space and is the founder of Bharat to India Connect and also the co-founder of Agritech Enablers. A very warm welcome to the show, Sanjay. Uh, good morning, uh, Kaushik, and thank you for having me on your show. It's a pleasure. Okay. You quit the corporate world in 2018 at the age of 53 after having worked with some of the best global companies like Wipro, AT&T, Bharti, etc. So what drove you from there to working pro bono in the villages of India? Uh, excellent question. In fact, uh, so what I did really in my career is actually, you know, almost about 20 years, I worked with some of the best in the best in best of the best in the world you know the top companies AT&T Fortune 5 Lucent Fortune 20 uh, Jabil Fortune 40 42 etc uh what really the last uh, 10 years of my corporate career which is where I started this company in India and built it up to uh, from two people and built it up to the largest aftermarket services company in India with almost about 3000 people across 23 states and almost 100 plus offices uh there uh, the big achievement of this company essentially was that this company 80% of these 3000 employees 3000 plus employees across india were coming from villages uh and that actually started giving me some insight into the real india you know so before that 20 years it was really a seven star career you know i really didn't set foot on the ground essentially mm-hmm. i worked in uh, in a absolutely amazing positions across the globe but the 10 year actually told me what the real india is essentially you know so uh, we were bringing these kids who were 10th grader 12th grader itis diploma holders from villages training them to a level to really get uh, what we wanted out of them and then the biggest achievement if i see what we did in that startup essentially uh, in, in their hardware art for aftermarket services company was that for of the 10 years i was managing director as founding manager director nine years we were global best in class and this is not what i am saying this was uh, audit you know uh, measured Uh, audited and certified by TL Thousand Quest Forum, which is one of the most stringent ICT standard for nine years. Wow. We were very heavily awarded, essentially across the globe. You know, we were poster boys of Quest Forum. Why the company should really start off quality right up front as a culture in the company, essentially. My pride, as far as that, this whole nine years of global best in classes, this was being done by kids coming out of villages. so it did two things for me one is it gave me a huge amount of perspective as to what real india is we're bringing all these kids from villages uh, making them work uh, in cities in a miserable environment if you look at you know the gig economy today or you know whatever economy you know 
these guys don't get paid too much money, essentially, 10,000, 15,000 rupees, and working in a place like a Gurkhaar or Delhi or a Mumbai, it's really literally hell for them. I mean, the quality of life for these kids is absolutely, absolutely low. Mm-hmm. They do not have a path really to uh, get rid of that misery. So much so, and just to give you my personal interaction with uh, my employees, you know, was uh, we would feed them a lunch or a dinner based on you know what uh, uh, what uh, shift they were, and that would be probably the only meal they were having because they would save them save as much money as possible and send it back to their uh, their villages essentially. So it is uh, what we are doing as an industry and, and the entire country I'm talking about. We bring these kids out of villages and put them in real misery, essentially, in terms of their quality of life with no no forward path in terms of really getting out of poverty you know, anytime soon. So that was one thing which I started really made me think, what if essentially we start creating opportunities for village people in the villages rather than they are coming to really the to the cities essentially. And that is where this whole idea for me, I had done whatever I had to do. I worked with the, uh, incidentally, I have worked, my 22 of my supervisors are CEOs of various public limited company in the US and in India essentially. Wow. I've done, I've, I've ran with the best in the business essentially. I've built a great company in India. Uh, from zero revenue to 400 crores, essentially. So not, I didn't have really anything more to prove to myself. Mm-hmm. That if I, people like me cannot pick up the gauntlet and start making a change where really the change is necessary, you know, then a you know, big deal. You know, you can, how many more Mercedes or, you know, how many more uh, uh, Chevrolets you can have, essentially, or Corvettes you can have, essentially, or how many more, thousand dollar wine chicken drink essentially so that really got, you know forced me to go and think and relook i decided once my boys were out of the college to go back quit the corporate world go pro bono and work in villages to create equitable opportunity where we can create 10x to 100x income models for the villages in the villages itself not you know forcing them to really come to so that was the trigger and that's how really i progress question Lovely. That's very inspiring. So how was the transition from the corporate air-conditioned offices to the sweltering heat and the other conditions in the farmlands? Yeah, so first first of all, I'm a very sleeves rolled up guy. So I really didn't care for, for even though I had a seven-star you know, uh, career across the globe in, in Asia-Pac or, or in Netherlands or US, etc. But very much sleeve rolled. So for me, you know, working in the trenches was never a problem, essentially. So that's one thing. Mm-hmm. But then, uh, as I said, Kaushik, you know, uh, 25, 2,600 employees coming from villages and you're meeting them every single day. That just gives you, that just prepares you for the kind of stuff which you can see, essentially, in the villages. So that doesn't, it didn't really, I didn't have to transition, I didn't have to really condition myself in any which way to go to villages. And in fact, what we did, just so that uh, as a preparatory work in 2016, while I was still the managing director in the company, we adopted a village in Haryana, about 50 kilometers uh, uh, from Gurgaon, Gadinathe, uh, And every uh, Sunday, either me or one of my direct reports, five direct reports, or and five employees would go to the village and teach kids, essentially. 
So that started really building what to expect when you are in a village. So we saw the schools are broken. We uh, fixed the school essentially. Then we saw uh, the, this is 50 kilometers from Gurgaon. So this isn't, we are not talking of Madhya Pradesh and Bastar or Chhattisgarh, et cetera. Mm-hmm. This is right here in Delhi. No health center, uh, no roads essentially. So that started really giving perspective as to what are the challenges in the village, essentially. And then we started talking to the people in the village, and they said, you know, uh, yeah, of course, the school is broken. Of course, the infrastructure is not there. But the biggest challenge for us is that about 80% of our kids, you know, who are coming out of school, 10th grader or 12th grader, they don't have a job. You know, if you understand, if you know what a village, how a village works, essentially, you know, Mm-hmm. Uh, the first job preference for a kid coming out of school in the village is to join an army. If he doesn't get army, he tries to work, uh, gets, uh, tries to get a job in paramilitary forces. If that doesn't work, well, as that doesn't work, you know, some government job that doesn't work a peon, and you would have about 10 to 12 percent of village kids every year getting absorbed in government jobs. Seven, eight percent get a private job. The rest of the 80 percent just do not have any work. So this is where all the acclim- you know, all the expectation of the villages started off even before I quit essentially, uh, quit the job. And my idea is that, uh, when I left the job was basically create uh, job opportunities within the village. So when I was still in my company, what we did was we said, okay, what all, what all we can take from our company and locate it in a village without compromising the quality and without compromising the cost of what we were doing. So we were repairing almost, repairing and refurbishing a huge amount of set-top boxes. And in that process, there was this whole process of screen printing and printing of set-top boxes to refurbish them to a new level. And we said, if we put that, we did the entire study, we did everything essentially. And we said, if we put that, we could easily maintain the same quality and cost and create jobs in the villages while we were doing that. So that, Operationally, I said, you can really put whatever you have to, you can put in the village in terms of uh, uh, building anything essentially or servicing anything. Uh, my, my challenge, what I figured is I was a captive customer in this instance, is what I explained to you. But when you talk about creating an industry in the village, the biggest challenge for me, you know, I'm operationally, you can put me in a desert and I'll create a world-class operation. So that isn't really for me. That isn't a challenge. For me, the challenge would be for a village industry is how to go and sell. Because these guys are not adept at selling, essentially. The market linkage is creating market linkage for them is really a big challenge, essentially. Mm-hmm. When I was working in the U.S., there was this whole concept of uh, in the U.S. of minority women and business entreprises. So this is in socialism I'm talking. I'm a, I'm a very big capitalist. I believe we, in order for India for really becoming what India has to become, the base of people owning capital has to go up from 10 crores to maybe 500 crores, essentially. And that journey from 10 crore investors, what we have today on these stock exchanges to 500 crores, there is not a single soul. People like us who are capable people, who have built great companies, built, you know, worked everywhere in the world, essentially. We sat at the high tables and shown, essentially, we're not doing anything essentially, mm-hmm. and that's where the, you know my, my, my what I see here is uh, the uh, and I, I'm not I am a very optimist guy. I really don't care if anybody else doesn't do it, but with whatever uh, resources I have, you know, I'll try to go and build models 
which can create opportunities for the poor people to have a 10x to 100x incremental income so that they can parent, you know, they can really escape the poverty, uh, you know, perennially essentially. So these are the things So what, after all this study, after all what I did, uh, three or four initiatives which we started working on, one is uh, a whole focus on the farmers. So organized farmers and farmer producer organizations. I've already uh, helped uh, situate one farmer producer organization in Rajasthan. We are right now working another one in one of the most backward district in, in India, New. Uh, so organized farmers. The second is essentially enable technology. I don't know how much you understand and you are into agri-tech business and I think we're going to talk more about it. Uh, the scenario here is that, you know, of the 145 million farmers, 125 million farmers, small farmers, mm -hmm. small land holdings, so they are not able to grow enough because they are not able to grow enough. Their income is low because their is income is low. They are not able to access credit. 70% of farmers in India cannot get a loan from banks. So they are not able to access credit. Since they are not able to access credit, they don't have money to deploy technology. Since they can't deploy technology, the productivity is low. So this vicious cycle keeps on going. So we decided we need to really address all these elements, essentially. The first is organize them. Second is enable access to credit. Third is enable technology adoption so that the productivity goes multiples, not 1x, 2x, 10x, 100x, 50x. That's the multiple we are uh, talking about in terms of productivity enhancement. Create market linkages. And then ultimately, the fourth element which we are trying to do with the farmer is the, in my head, the biggest panacea or biggest upliftment which can happen as farmer, start connecting them to food processing. Mm -hmm. Amul is such a great successful model that uh, today Amul is, is uh, almost about 52,000 crore company. Nearest competitor Nestle is 12,000 crore. Amul is a dairy farmer owned company. Mm -hmm. Nestle is an is a MNC. It can't even come anywhere close to Amul in terms of what Amul is doing. The replication of Amul model in agriculture is what essentially what we are trying to do. Do essentially, and there are various examples which we are trying to bring in. You know, farm with a which is a farmer-owned company. So we're trying to really. Uh, they're basically food processing, and it's a company owned by forty-two thousand farmers. So that's a great model to really replicate in the villages where we are. So that's all farmer-focused. Then we do skilling and skilling for uh, women and youth in a very very significant way. So. We bring in experts like Usha Silai School and sponsor to establish a, a full-fledged training facility for women and then create market linkages for them to really get them business. We just don't leave it at uh, uh, skilling itself, but enable these village uh, women to really get business from the market, from the corporate India for uniforms, et cetera, et cetera or uh, skilling of youth, for example, in my business, which used to be my business, hardware, uh, soldering is a very critical skill. So we established soldering, skilling, uh, lab, all free of charge training, which is happening with one of the best trainers, which India can afford. Uh, they go to the village, sponsored by us, uh, and they train uh, you know, youth essentially on skilling and with an assured job uh, in one of the best companies India has for hardware services. That's the second initiative to really skill people so that they can start earning money within the village itself. They don't have to really come out to the cities. 
And the third is work with rural government schools. And the poorest of the poor in India actually goes to rural government schools, essentially. Mm -hmm. Anybody who has money is sending the kid to a convent or an English uh, medium school. Uh, but the guy who can't afford is actually sending the kid to rural schools. And rural schools in India, in most states, are not really a shining example of uh, great institutions. So our, uh, what we do is work with the school to really improve quality of education, whether it's infrastructure improvement, whether it is uh, student skilling, or whether it is teacher skilling. So that is what we are enabling. I do not, I, I am not in the business of solving world hunger, very simply, essentially. I'm in the business of really making a change in the five or 10 villages, which I, I can do over the next five, seven, 10 years. And then inspire people around us, essentially, who are capable, who have built companies, who have done wonder in their career, to come forward and replicate this wherever they are in India, essentially. So that's, that's the idea for me, question. Fantastic. And where do you see, I mean, like, oh, like the way you rightly mentioned, right, but most of the companies that are currently coming into this industry right now, probably because of the VC money and everything else is primarily, I mean, the cause that they're actually saying is that they want to solve, you know, the hunger situation that will arise definitely by 2050. So specific, yeah. Yeah, so, go ahead. So specific to India, where do you see the situation? I mean, is it something that is of so, highest concern or? Yeah, yeah. so Kaushik, so here is, I don't know, you know, if, if people here, they'll say this guy's a maniac, but uh, I'm, I'm both pleased, let me start off with a positive note with the startup ecosystem and absolutely disappointed with the startup system, essentially. Mm -hmm. I mean, to the level of disdain, essentially. And the reason I, Kaushik, I say that is, uh, I used to work in a Sequoia-funded uh, startup uh, in, in uh, almost about 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, cutting a startup, which raised $400 million in, uh, in 1999, 2000 period. Wow. And I saw what really a startup meant, essentially. You know, you did the kind of analysis you did, the kind of due diligence you did on the market, the kind of study, you, the kind of help uh, Sequoia Capital or uh, Red, Red Point Venture or Austin Venture provided in terms of uh, uh, refining your strategy, opening doors, you know, uh, arguing with you, helping you in terms of really uh, how the market approach should be, et cetera, et cetera. It was just amazing. We were building a product for $40 billion switching market at that point in time. Today, Reliance's network is based on those switches, essentially. Mm -hmm. uh, Reliance Geo's network. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, I see the startups here. You know, the kind, I mean, see, you know, one thing uh, I've been fortunate, as I said, to have uh, directly worked as, super, um, as my supervisors with 22 CEOs, one of them was and Krishna Kumar of uh, Mindtree, the chairman of Mindtree, essentially, ex Wiproite as well. And uh, when this whole, uh, you know, phone pay nonsense was happening, you know, phone pay or Bharat pay, whatever, uh, this, the problem with the uh, founder. With the founder. Right. Yeah, so he came out and said, look, guys, you know, your problem is that you're also enmeshed in valuation game. You just do not understand how to build value in the company. Mm -hmm. And that's what my problem with all these startups is essentially. I never saw such blatant bankruptcy of uh, 
uh, ability to even articulate what these guys are doing. They're not into, they are none of these startups. You, you know, start one startup who is there to really do uh, build valuable business. They don't even understand what is the meaning of a valuable business essentially. And that's, that's a, such a, such a, such a, uh, you know, it's a pretty sordid story for me because you are putting in such an amazing amount of money in the startup ecosystem. And what are you building? Two mm -hmm. segments which really have a massive implication on India. The, the first segment is, of course, agriculture. The second segment is MSMEs. Mm -hmm. And both these segments are completely, completely broken, right? So somebody says, you know, I saw this, some of the questions, you know, startup culture, this is, uh, India always had startup cultures, all these MSMEs, have, MSMEs are the second largest employer in India. MSMEs are the second largest contributor to the GDP in India. So this isn't really new. Now the problem which I see with, with this is, the MSME scene in India is among the most broken scene like the agriculture. So we haven't learned anything from the MSME segment. We go and try to really do all these values, which is fantastic. You know, the Lenskart CEO uh, comes on, uh, you know, I just read his statement somewhere. Oh, you know, I didn't want to work with Microsoft. I wanted to come and work with the poor people in India. And you actually created a four and a half billion company, but none of that four and a half billion company really went into building a valuable business, which can really start impacting life of the poor. True. All these gig economy, which we are talking about, the delivery guys. They, see, I lived this life for 10 years. These guys get paid 15,000 rupees, 20,000 rupees. In a city like Delhi, 15,000 rupees, you get married, have one kid. Why the hell do you think these ever going to escape uh, poverty? You'll never escape poverty. True. So you're building all these value, valuations basically for yourself. You're not doing any change as far as the lives of the, your employees are concerned. There is no upskilling happening. I will give you the, I mean, the, the beauty of what we did in, in, in my last company, the upskilling which we were doing, real training technicians to become program manager. And this is a world-class company. I have 42 customers, the likes of the Apples and Microsofts and you know the Airtels and Ericsons and Nokia, you name it, you name a company and they were my customer. And I was taking a technician, 10th grade technician and training him to become a program manager. Where is the thought process? Where is the vision? You want to build a valuable business. That's what NKK and Krishna Kumar said. All you guys are going out for valuations. You have no thought of building a valuable business. They don't even know what a world-class company is. Exactly. It's such a shame, essentially. You know, so you sit... You come to you know you come to the U.S. The kind of companies we have, the Lenskarts and all all these guys. You go to San Antonio, one street, you will have hundreds of companies like Lenskart essentially. You have no idea what a world class company is. You have not built systems and processes. You have not built anything. You walk into these companies, they haven't done any bang up job in terms of really creating companies essentially which are valuable business. And what is valuable business? In fact, this is such an interesting discussion. I'll tell you. Uh, I asked one of one, I asked my CEO of my company, global CEO of my company. Look, I want to build a valuable company. And says, look, valuable company is different things to different people. Mm -hmm. So I went back to the drawing board. I said, look, I really want to build a valuable company. And this guy has given me a hint. It's different things to different people. So what does a valuable company actually mean? Right. The whole nonsense of Harvard and all these management institutions that we should be really focused on shareholder value is bull crap. 
Mm-hmm. When you talk of a valuable company, here's what valuable company is. The valuable company starts from people. The, it, the company has to be valuable for the people first. The company has to be valuable for the customer. Your customer should feel that this is an absolutely amazing, valuable company for me. I can't do without this company. The company should be valuable to the partners. Mm-hmm. Look at the vendor scene in India. How you don't pay. Everybody is so gaga about Tata's. I'll, you know, I've just wrote a piece on Tata's. They never paid on time. They never paid on time. They ran their business. They're all these guys. They run their businesses on vendors' money. Mm. The company has to be people, customer, partners, your surround. Why the world is in such a nonsense place right now? Because we never bothered about the surround. We did stuff to harm the environment in such a significant way. So you're building a company and you are harming the environment. How is that a valuable company? And then it is the shareholder, essentially, the fifth element. So unless you address all these five elements, you address the people, you address the customers, you address the partners, you address your surround, and then you address the stakeholder, you are in building valuable company. So the scene is good. So it's startup from a standpoint of there is enough capital available for you to really go and if you have an idea, you can go and really uh, build a company. But then beyond that, you aren't building great companies. You're building companies which are rickety companies standing on Basaki essentially, which you know, which you can't handle competition essentially. Most of the Indian companies they compete on cost, uh, prices, and not even cost. You know, they compete on price. Mm-hmm. Beyond that, they don't understand quality. I am yet to find, as I said, the Koshik nine years global best in class world telling me, you know, we are the poster boys of uh, quality. Show me one company which which uh, has has done that. Now every there is enough opportunity in the industry for everybody to make money. So money making is not an issue essentially. You know there is so India is such an disorganized business place that you can pick up anything in India and you can really start making money. You organize and there is a pitch today uh, in, in the Angel Network organizing homestay for students. You organize that you'll make money. You organize implement business in agriculture, you will make money. You organize hardware market services, which we did, we made money. So making money isn't really an issue. Issue is what is the impact of that making money on the society which we are talking about? And unless we start really measuring ourselves on these elements, we're going to be a poor country. I'm going to die a, you know, a, a, a citizen of a very pathetically poor country. And likewise, I think another three, four generations are going to die because we are not even thinking how to really sort that problem. True. You actually mentioned uh, about culture also initially, and of course, you have people right up there. So how critical is culture when it comes to building the startup like you have done? Oh, um, I think you, know, uh, you are asking absolutely amazing question. 100%, you know, the culture, first of all, the culture or the organization tells you what kind of organization it is. Secondly, the culture of the organization is driven by the top guy. If the top guy is abusive, he doesn't respect the women he works, works uh, the women who work in, in his company. He doesn't respect the security guard in his company. He doesn't uh, take care of that people should be paid on time, the salary or the vendors. Then it is essentially, you know, that's a culture which is a rotten culture. And unfortunately, very, very unfortunately, let me tell you this, and I'm uh, of my 42 customers, and these were, you can pick a brand in India and they were my customers. 
mm -hmm. uh, for hardware aftermarket services. Mm -hmm. uh, there was maybe one or two customers who paid me on time, just one or two customers. One was an American customer, one was an Indian customer. Rest of the 40 customers, and you can pick a name. Uh, I don't want to really shame them. Oh, I can shame them. I, mm -hmm. Never, ever paid on time. Never. So I started this company with zero revenue. You can imagine an MSME which has no revenue. Now you're not paying him on time, essentially. What do you expect? I'm actually funding a business. I'm funding Tata's business or a Reliance's business or an Airtel's business. That's what is happening. With zero revenue, essentially, I'm funding their business. You know, This tells you what culture these organizations have. So you may be anything, you know, you may be, you, this doesn't happen at AT&T. This doesn't happen in Verizon. But it happens in Airtel, it happens in Reliance Geo, it happens in Tata. So this is all, you know, however much we love Mr. Ratan Tata, he didn't do a bang up job in building a great culture where you, you benchmark yourself against the best in the industry. And when I say industry, industry is not Indian industry. You benchmark yourself against AT&T and see where you are. You have no processes. You treat your vendor like dirt. You know, you have no courtesy to anyone who really steps into your organization. So that's a humongously bad culture, essentially. I'm yet to find organizations who are really doing a bang-up job. Wipro used to be a great place. I am such a big admirer of that company. Most of, most of what I am today is because of the time spent at Wipro, five years in Wipro in the beginning of my career. Mm -hmm. And the ethics of the business, the way they treated the employees, et cetera. You know, this is great. And, it take, and that culture got drove by none other than Premji, you know. Absolutely. So unless the big bosses are into the game and unless the culture of the organization is to build amazingly. So for me, uh, Koshik, I, I understand India very much. I understand that for 1800 years, we were, we were the kings of the world as far as economy is concerned. We were par excellence in anything which we did, you know, the kind of industries which we had, whether it was textile or steel or, you know, shipbuilding, et cetera, et cetera. They're par, par excellence. All that par excellence today, the kind of industries which we have, they're nowhere. We are not building great, you know, we, we're not building excellence into our vision. See, unfortunately, fine, you know, I, I give it to the I, I accept, we may not have an idea, but we do not have an intent to become a world-class company. That's more dangerous. You may not have, have any idea of, uh, you know, how to become a world-class company, but if you do not have a vision and intent of becoming a world-class company, then I think you really have a problem. And I think that's a very significant cultural problem. We go and sit in, uh, you know, in a Bell Labs or an AT&T or a Verizon, or I'm just talking about telecommunication or an Apple, and then we see what kind of a companies those guys are essentially. But do, you, but do you feel that it's probably because uh, maybe even the Indian consumer is very price conscious and therefore they'll not appreciate it? No, Kaushik. So, uh, buddy, this is such a great question. You are asking all the right questions. Uh, when I uh, started this company, essentially, and I looked around, okay, who am I competing with? You know, the hardware services company. And all I saw mom and pop shops, essentially, right? Mom and pop shops, which are completely disorganized. Uh, employees, some companies having employees, 30 employees here, five employees there, et cetera, et cetera. So I said, what, what should I really go and tell my customer? Mm -hmm. And all these customers, whether it was Tata or Reliance, et cetera, they're all doing business with these mom and pop shop 
for their equipment repair. You know? mm -hmm. uh, and I said, you know, I, I need to do two things, basically. One, I need to provide them global best-in-class quality. And it's not that I should say global best-in-class. I should really have a standard who should certify that I am global best-in-class. That's how we got TL9000 certification. Mm -hmm. And then the second thing I said, I should really give them lowest cost of ownership. We must understand in this country, quality means lower cost. If somebody comes in this country and argues with me that quality means higher cost, I will tell him 10 years, I was the lowest cost operation in India. And I gave five-star work to my customers at the lowest cost of operation, ownership. Wow. So the only reason I could do that, and I'll give you a beautiful example, essentially, you know, my first customer was Tata Teleservices, Tata Teleservices, Maharashtra Limited, mm -hmm. and I was doing repair and refurbishment. We did, we did 42 different te telecommunication technology repair and re repair, hardware repair, like base stations and switches down to phones, et cetera. And you can imagine the entire gamut of telecommunication portfolio we were doing in India. Wow. We're bringing equipment from US, repairing it here and sending it back to the likes of AT&T and the BT in UK, et cetera. So that's the quality of stuff which we're doing in India. So the first project customer which I got was Tata. And they, they said, look, Sanjay, uh, you're my good friend. I know you from AT&T, the president of SEM. SEM, both of us used to work in AT&T. I will give you business. I know you're going to deliver, but I'm not going to give you anything more than what I'm paying my other, other guys, which is 150 rupees for repairing and refurbishing fixed wireless phones. Wow. So I did my business and I said, I can still make money on this 150 bucks essentially. Now, what I did was I really, because of the kind of quality which we are building in the systems and processes, et cetera, you know, from the word go, my uh, defective returns were minuscule, 0.0001%, something like that, 0.001%, essentially. That's the defect return which is happening. All of a sudden, I went back to my customer. He was asking me, uh, if I'm wrong, if not wrong, you know, he was probably asking me six months warranty. I turned around and I said, I'm going to get you actually a year-long warranty because the equipment is not failing. I really don't care. I'll give you a one-year warranty. You know, all these things which you talk about, you know, people don't understand the business. They skim, oh, yeah, quality reduces cost. Quality will never increase your cost. You know, it's a, you, you are trying to really figure out your pricing strategy based on quality, two different issues. Quality doesn't increase cost because if your returns are not there, if your product is not becoming defective, then all of the associate cost of bringing that, that equipment, repairing it and sending back to the customer goes away. That's less cost than having a product which fails again and again and again. So we must understand this, that we, if we did the things right, if we built quality in the system, we will have far less failure. Therefore, my cost is going to be less. And we just do not have a mindset of that. And this is where, you know, in a matter of 10 years, building a 400 crore business out of 10 air, and no one has done it in India, essentially. And the only way we did it, because we were delivering great quality at a cost, essentially, which was phenomenal, absolutely amazing, because we were able to drive down 
our rejection rates. Why do you think we were nine years global best in class? Because we had such a great uh, you know, performance in, in terms of what we are delivering. So these are things which we need to understand. Why are MSME segment? So I'll give you a great story. Mm -hmm. This is such a phenomenal story so you understand. Uh, uh, and I'm going to digress, but it's something which people should really hear. Uh, I used to work in Jabil essentially. Jabil is the world's third largest electronic manufacturing services company, $27 billion. It's the largest US manufacturing services company. Mm -hmm. Precursor, pre uh, predecessor of uh, Make in India was EDSM, which was launched by Kapil Sibbal. Uh, this is something like I'm talking about 2013 or kind of time frame. Mm -hmm. So he invited all the big manufacturing players, the Jables and the Flextronics and all these guys in a room and said, okay, guys, we're going to launch this EDSM. Tell us what you want. Uh, and I was in Delhi and representing Jabil. So I was invited by this EDSM people essentially on the launch. All of them started cribbing, you know, whether the Foxconn or the Flextronics, all these guys, look, very difficult to do business. We don't have infrastructure. You know, the skilled manpower is not there. Government should actually give us money for putting R&D, et cetera. You know, the usual Indian businessman, uh, you know, crying horse, oh, we, the government should do, et cetera. So then came my turn. I said, let me tell you this story. There's this company, Jabil, which I represent. You know, it's a beautifully, absolutely amazing quality company. It employs about 300,000 people globally, 70 factories, 39 in US, uh, 39 in China and rest across the world, one in India. That one in India is in Ranjan Gaon. They acquired Philips factory and then built a new factory on top of it. Mm -hmm. Ranjan Gaon is way off from Pune. When Jabil did it, you know, in 2000, early 2000, it was nowhere, you know, no roads, no nothing. So Jabil built this facility, they put their own power plant, they didn't bother about the government. Uh, they built amazing infrastructure. It's a high quality company, $27 billion, you can imagine. A top quality company, you know, customers like Apple, et cetera, et cetera. So they built without any government support, without any subsidy, et cetera, great factory. Then they looked around and said, where do they get people, essentially? And they didn't have people. Ranjan they hired people. They brought them in. They trained them to run world's most sophisticated SMT lines. Wow. Then they said, okay. I, I sorted out the uh, infrastructure. I sorted out my scaling part. But you know what? I am a big hunker doker SMT guy. I don't do screws. I don't do plastics. I don't do packaging. I need to find those guys in India. So they went around, which are the best guys, these guys who are manufacturing screws and plastics and packaging. They didn't find one quality player in India, mm -hmm. which can deliver what they were expecting to, because this they had huge amount of business which they were manufacturing here and exporting out to the US essentially set of boxes. They go, went to Korea, brought their vendors, funded them to establish uh, factories in Pune for them, and they became the captive customer. So I said, look, none of what you guys are telling, infrastructure, blah, 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 none of it is a problem. If Apple comes today and tells Jable, please put a factory, or Cisco comes and tells Jable, please put a factory for manufacturing routers or phones, et cetera, no brainer for Jable, no brainer for Foxconn. They'll sort out the infrastructure issues, they'll sort out the scaling issues, but they can't sort out your MSME issue. Where are the MSMEs who are going to, who are going to support all these big guys? None. So you are not, you're, you're calling all these Johnnies here who don't need your help, Mr. Government. They're flushed with money. 
And the guys who really need help, the MSMEs, they're not on the table here. And you're not doing anything to actually help them flourish. So your whole attitude towards Make in India is all what? Where you should really focus your energy and really building quality companies, you're not even doing. There's a thought process. Your MSMEs, except for automobile sector, is in, in, in is amazingly bad, essentially. True. Saving grace is auto, automobile. They're doing phenomenal job. But beyond that, and so these are the issues which I see, you know, where we are trying to fix certain things without really getting to understand what it takes to build great business, essentially, what it takes to build great industry. Lovely. So you've been obviously leading teams now for a very long time, right, from your corporate days as well. So what's your mantra when it comes to hiring or partnering, especially since you work with so many people? Uh, my mantra is very simply, what, and this is what I used to ask, and I, I actually would give orientation presentation to every single employee which came into my company. All 3,500 employees heard my orientation across India, would physically go and give orientation. I would tell my employees, I'm looking for four things from you. The first thing uh, I really am looking for that you are really a passionate guy. You know, that's number one. Whatever you do, if you're not passionate, don't join me. And uh, I don't want uh, people who can't put uh, 100% or uh, 100% is a cliche. You should be really passionate about uh, what you do. Because if you're not passionate about what you're doing, you're wasting everybody's time. True. You're wasting your time, first of all, because you're not passionate about what you're doing and you're wasting wherever you're working. So that's the, the, that's the first thing we look for. Second thing what we really look for is you should be really honest. You know, for me, ethics, uh, there, is no, there is no compromise on ethics. That's what Premji told us, and I really live by that. There is you, Either you have integrity or you don't have integrity. So I really want honest people. That's the second thing. Mm-hmm. The third thing I said, you should be a learner. I damn care. I mean, we used to take eighth grader technicians. Eighth grader phone polishers. Forget about technicians. And we would teach him how to become a technician. Hardcore hardware repair, base station card repair, which would go to AT&T's network, essentially. That's what we were doing. Or an Airtel network. That's what the third thing, essentially. And we had such an amazing employee development program, very, it was recognized globally in Jabal and in India, awarded by BML Munjal essentially for amazing employee development program. It's a very coveted award, BML Munjal. Mm-hmm. So learner and fourth thing is team player. If you had those four things, I'll tell you, I'll give you stories after stories. People which we hired as a technician, just bare bone technician, Today, work in Accenture as supply chain experts, essentially earning 25, 30 lakh rupees in a matter of 10 years. Okay. So for me, the way education is set up in India um, and globally as well, it's very, very overrated. We really need to give equitable opportunity to people. And we need to have that vision in our head and abilities and wherewithal to train people, to upskill people. What us me bought lagti. Jabal, a $27 billion company, the CEO of that company is a guy who used to work on shop floor. He was a shop floor. He started at shop floor. He was a shop floor. He's just a B-Tech. At shop floor, that's where he started. He was groomed to become the CEO of a $27 billion company. Absolutely astounding. Uh, 
तो वन एस्पेक्ट आई फील दैट इज प्रोबेबली वन ऑफ द रीजन प्रोबेबली यू नो लाइक दच आर और इवन दर कॉर्पोरेशन लिटिल वेरी ऑफ गिविंग अपॉर्चुनिटीज टू I mean, you know, to indulge in their entire training program and all is that they probably will not stick around, right? So, when it comes to attrition for whatever reason, so how do you plug that gap? So, uh, so this is fantastic. So, uh, Kaushik, the issue is, you know, uh, we are why are we so insecure? Mm-hmm. You know, this is where it is. So, my attrition rates in my company used to be minuscule. You know why? Because my guy knew that oh, does cheche saal saal, eight eight saal be kaam kiya hai. Nobody asked him, what do you really want to become in next couple of years or three years or five years? Correct. And here is a company who is actually putting a course tailored for that particular specific employee, so that he can become whatever he wants to become in two, three, five years. वो किधर छोड़ के जाने वाला मेरे को? Which company will give him that? So why should I be insecure? और अगर छोड़ के जाएगा तो मेरा ही नाम रोशन करेगा कि यार आज हाईकोर में मेरे ट्रेंड बन रहा वो हिंदुस्तान में कहीं चले जाइए हार्डवेयर सर्विसेज कंपनी में एंड इफ माय एम्प्लॉय स्टेप्स इन एंड से दिस गाइस यूज्ड टू वर्क इन हाईकोर और चलमार जेबल यू नो वट एवर कंपनी आई वॉज इन सेंचुरी फॉर दिन ईयर्स ही गेट्स ट्रीटमेंट विच नो अदर एम्प्लॉय विल गेट बिकॉज दे नो द काइंड ऑफ स्टफ विच वी डिड फॉर द एम्प्लॉयज राइट perfect because i have also worked with the blue collar industry and that is usually the uh, not only an apprehension but it's actually practical issue that comes in as well right so today so, tomorrow they get an offer for 1000 bucks more they actually jump ship yeah. so koshik you know this is where we need to really look around so when i was i used to work in the us you know uh, my boss i worked for him almost about 15 years in various companies a smart kid you know 28 years he became a president of a division essentially in in atnt mm-hmm. and uh, he would always ask us to benchmark us with the best in the industry on various aspects of our business and then we are going to really have a vision to really become best in every single element which we are doing as i said jable is a 300000 people company 300000 people company mm-hmm. manufacturing company with their pbt Uh, that that actually not even PBT mm-hmm. that is about two percent or three percent that's how manufacturing industry works essentially mm-hmm. right so obviously yeah so turnover both on a chain but tuning a turnover because they show by look I picked a guy on the shop floor and in twenty years I made him the CEO you tell me which employee is going to ever quit that company correct makes sense. yeah. Now tell me one Indian company which learns from a company like Jabil and say, "Wow, that's a global best-in-class practice." Yeah, hmm. uh, and I'm going to actually take that global best-in-class practice and employ it. Jabil, seventy factories across the globe, across the globe, Latin America, China, Asia, Europe, etc., America, etc. Every year they would compete on global best-in-class practices. so sari duniya ki factories they'll come and tell what are the best in class practices they are and then the entire management top management of jable would sit in st petersburg the headquarter fly in the finalists listen to their presentation two days including their board of directors can you imagine 27 billion dollar company ka board of director shop floor ke bande ki khade ho ke baat sunta hai what is the best practice he is deploying wow So my final question though would be that if you had to give the twenty-year-old Sanjay some advice, what would that be? Oh, uh, 
So I, I uh, one of the things basically, I mean, be very impetuous. You know, that would be definitely. I, I was of course very impetuous, uh, but I would still say, you know, uh, that for people, one thing, one realization which I had, which came to me after thirty years of uh, or twenty years of working in in in, in the world, essentially that. We are the among the most privileged people, you know. You and I, you know, we are we are in, you know, pretty much one percent of India. I didn't have that realization, mm-hmm. and if I had that realization when I was twenty year old, that I'm among among the top one percent of India, and there is a huge amount of responsibility on my shoulder, probably I would have done much sooner than what I am doing today, essentially. And that would be my advice. I think we I we must tell our kids. The guys like you and me, we should tell our kids what they are. They are they own this country. They are top one percent of this country. And if they don't understand, if they really don't understand, what does that mean? That's such a shame, essentially. I think that would be my advice. Lovely, absolutely fantastic. So thank you so much, Sanjay, for having taken the time out, uh, and you shared some absolutely amazing insights. Uh, it was a real pleasure having you on the show, and wishing you even greater success going forward. Thank you so much, Kaushik. Pleasure talking to you, and lovely, you know. And we should meet up, you know. Well, let me understand what you guys are doing in AgriTech, and let's see how we can help you out somewhere. Definitely, definitely. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. Do follow our show on your podcast app to stay tuned to new episodes. I'm the Chief Business Officer of Green Tiger, which is all set to be a disruptor in both the EV and petrol two-wheeler space. You can reach out to me on www.linkedin.com slash in slash kaushik hyphen post.